You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Well, hello and welcome to Literary Tracks, TFM's books and comic show for Star Trek. And I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm so excited to be with the one and only, the one and only Casey Pettit. How are you doing, Casey? I'm good. I'm ready for a trek across the frontier plains of a new planet and just can't wait for my weeks-long journey to see how this world goes or doesn't go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all I got to say is, you know, saddle up your horses because we're ready to ride. Yes. Uh, and it is going to be a ride tonight. We've got a fantastic episode for you as uh, we're going to be talking to John Jackson Miller about his book, The High Country, which is the very first Star Trek Strange New Worlds book. But before we get there, I got a couple things to do here in the news. But one, we want to say thank you for listening so much. It means a lot that you would check us out here on Literary Treks. Uh, if you're listening to us and you haven't already done so, hit subscribe wherever that is and you'll get the podcast as soon as it drops. You can also benefit the podcast by going over to something like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, giving us a star rating and review, let people know what you think of the show really does help our show continue to grow even after all of these years. And, uh, of course, you can find us on all of the social medias. We've got Twitter, at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. There's Instagram, TrekFM. We've got the listeners-only discussion group. And if you'd like to talk to listeners from all over the world, type Babel into the search field on Facebook. You'll find the Babel Conference. You can join and, and discuss all of the shows we're doing here there. Of course, we've got our main website, trek.fm, where you can see all of the shows we're doing. There's so much happening here these days. And there's a contact section in if you would like to send us an email. Really important, though, we've got some amazing people who support us through Patreon, like Casey Pettit or Greg Rosier, who are associate producers here on Literary Treks. They make sure that everything that we're doing can keep coming to you each and every week. And without listeners just like them, it's not possible for that to happen. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and become part of our team. Well, Casey, uh, we've had so many comics coming out recently, and it is very fun because before we dive into our interview, we do have another comic, a Strange New Worlds comic. We've got the Illyrian Enigma issue three has just dropped, and... Oh my goodness, this issue has so much cool stuff happening in it that was kind of boggling my mind. But one, uh, can we talk about Nude Stone Spock? I 
I don't know what else there is to talk about except that right there. And if uh, listeners haven't picked up this comic and you want to see a nude stone Spock, <laughs> there, there it is. That was definitely the weirdest part of this comic. But, you know, as a whole with the story, I, I feel like, you know, was that necessary? I don't know. But maybe, I, I, I guess... You know, for what Spock had to do, turning to stone might, uh, you know, having to do that would would prevent anybody else from going to the planet, as we see in the comic. And uh, mm-hmm. not something you'll see on TV anytime soon, probably. Rock Spock. Uh, no, <laughs> I, although uh, you might. Uh, I love that. Rock Spock. It sounds like a really weird band. <laughs> yes. uh, but you might see it on Star Trek Discovery. So that That's does true. sound like something that they would do. So, uh, but, um, you know, what I thought was really interesting about this issue is the way in which it deepens our understanding of the Illyrians and the past that they have and giving us uh, the indication and letting us know here that their past has uh, a very rich history with the Vulcans, which we didn't know, Spock didn't know. It's it doesn't seem to be anywhere on Vulcan at this point. Um, it seems to be maybe hidden. And this also, uh, as Spock experiences the past through this monument that's still there on Illyria, which there's very little that's left there because of everything that's happened to the planet. Um, the Vulcans seem to have visited before the time of Surak. Uh, and so it does, I guess, make sense in many ways why uh, that might be lost as information, because we know that time was, uh, you know, a time of war, a time of massive change uh, after a Siroc, um was able to convince everybody that you know, logic was the way to go. But you know, I think I just I'm really enjoying this comic and I'm really enjoying the way in which I think in that they are utilizing the comic property to be able to do some things that would be very difficult to do on television uh, cost wise. Uh, and yet a comic is the perfect way to be able to do it. Uh, and so uh, to me, this issue, it deepens the mystery in a way that has me on the edge of my seat waiting for the next issue to come out because this story is is just getting more and more interesting with every issue, which is really impressive. Yeah, and I think as we're seeing in the comic, you know, like you said, there's things that they're doing here that we wouldn't necessarily see on the show, but especially with this issue of seeing how it's going to be the way that I'm thinking they're taking the story as far as, you know, taking them to Vulcan now and, and bringing in that aspect of the, the connection with the Illyrians. It feels like a good place, you know, that the, the comic might end in a good place for the show to pick back up. You know, when we started, we're like, why wouldn't they just tell mm-hmm. the story on screen? And it's turning out that you know, maybe there still will be t- story to tell on screen after this, but, you know, we're still getting a good story in the meantime. So I'm really enjoying that. And, you know, as with our book that we're going to talk about today, and, you know, I've seen rumors online that there's uh, season three hasn't been confirmed yet, but they're, you know, kind of already starting to plan on it. You know, like we've we've got a long way to go with Strange New Worlds. So that's super exciting. And, 
you know, this comic is just another example of what a rich time period, what a good cast and characters that we have in Strange New Worlds. And, you know, once the Illyrian Enigma storyline is over, I kind of look forward to seeing what they do in the comics going forward with Strange New Worlds. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I could not agree with you more. And I think one of the most important things here, too, and, and something you were mentioning there about, you know, are we going to get a season three and everything? Uh, look, you know, if you like a show, uh, one, make sure you're watching it. <laughs> make sure you're paying for the streaming service. Make sure you're reading the comics and the books and everything that go along with it. Um, those are the things that let a studio know that this is profitable for them to keep making. And Strange New Worlds is a show to which... I 100% agree that we should be making more of. Uh, and, uh, you know, I like I've, I've got the the 4K uh, Blu-rays on order for when the season comes out, you know, and I'm so, one, I'm just so excited they're actually doing that in the first place. <laughs> uh, this show is gorgeous and it'll look even better in 4K disc. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are ways in which that happens. And what I love, Casey, is that this isn't one of those things where I feel like I have to be nice about something, which if anybody's listened to the show long enough, I'm never nice about things I don't really like. <laughs> um, and so uh, in the sense that I'm not afraid to tell people my opinion, right? But this is definitely a comic and it's a show to which I 100% am behind. It's been great. It continues to be great. And so I'm very excited for that. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it's just, there's there's so much happening here with uh, Star Trek, especially comics and the shows that are coming out. And it's just been a joy to be a fan, I think, mm -hmm. over the last couple of years now. And uh, I don't know, Casey, uh, maybe we should uh, hitch up the horses and head on over to the interview room so we can talk to John Jackson Miller in the high country. Giddy up. Well, Casey, there is absolutely nothing better then Literary Tracks having an interview with one of the authors to talk about a new Star Trek book. And I'm so excited that the premiere Star Trek book for Star Trek Strange New Worlds is with our friend John Jackson Miller in the high country. And John, it is so good to have you back here on Literary Tracks. I'm glad to be here. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, so... This is huge. You know, obviously, we've got a brand new Star Trek show, and you get to be the first person to write a novel in that. And so I just wanted to know kind of right up front, how did you figure out the timeline for this book and where it would fit best in season one? Well, it all depends on when we start talking about the spoilers here. <laughs> well, we'll we'll hit the spoilers right here because, the, yeah, everybody should have read the book before this, um, but go for it. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, the way that this happened is I was uh, asked to uh, write the novel uh, in the summer of 2021, uh, which is quite some time ago, but that is an indication of how, um, you know, the paper shortage and everything else caused this book to be pushed forward. Um, and so the show was not out yet. And um, you know, I'm talking with Kirsten Beyer about it, uh, who is the executive producer of the series. Uh, and, uh, you know, the person who always helps us on uh, integrating with the TV shows. And uh, you know, one of the things that she said is, uh, well, obviously, we could set it whenever you want to set it. But uh, I really think that the work of uh, this one actor, uh, Bruce Horak, um, 
as uh, Hemmer uh, is impressive. And uh, it would be great if we could get to use him. And, uh, of course, that introduced constraints uh, right away, uh, at least, you know, depending on how much, you know, time I, I wanted to spend um, in this period with him. Uh, because, uh, again, the novel actually does have epilogues, which are somewhat later, and we don't say how much later they are. Uh, but, uh, you know, the sense is that uh, most of the book is going to take place um in the time frame where we know Hemmer. Uh and so that describes uh about seven episodes where it could be in or between. Uh and then I was thinking about it and I said, you know, um I really need to constrain this even further because um as a, a consequence of the um uh, predicament that I've come up with for this planet, the uh, the you know the the planet in Strange New Worlds, uh, the High Country. Um, you know, I, I I came up with something where I, I wanted to do something where it was one planet, many worlds, uh, one planet, many cultures, one planet, many things. Uh, but one of the one of the things about the planet is that there uh, is something preventing uh, electricity from functioning the way it normally does. Um, across uh, distances, uh, and so I, I I knew that this would be a threat uh, keeping Enterprise away uh, if I had somebody on Enterprise uh, who had a, a motive for saying let's stay where we are, let's not approach too closely, uh, and that of course is uh, Doctor Mabenga uh, because uh, you know we put the uh the the story during that time where Rukia his daughter is uh mm-hmm. in the transporter buffers so uh again you know that that sort of constrained it further uh and then it was just a matter of I looked at it and said okay I want to I want to be as close to that pretty much as I can get uh because I want this crew to have uh you know had some time together um you know I I I don't want to be near um you know the 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 earlier episodes. Uh, you know we're, we've got to her as first couple of adventures. We have, uh, you know we have uh, uh, Lon's uh, uh, arrival. We have we have all these things where uh, I don't want to be too close to that. Um, and so yeah, that that that's that's really kind of how I zeroed in uh, for where this thing is. Um, to be honest, I kind of wish we didn't have the. Um, Historians note at all uh, on this book because I uh, I think it is kind of self-explanatory um, based on what I've just said. If you've watched the first season, you know when it has to be. Yeah, I, I think you're 100 percent right on that. I, I didn't necessarily uh, need the historian's note because with Mbenga and with Hemmer, you kind of know where the story takes place, and right. uh, I, I think it, it works really well. And I'm glad you did that, too, because, you know, Chris and I talked about on uh, Saddle Up, uh, where we talk about the series, we loved Hemmer as a character, and we're really yeah. sad to see the fact that, you know, I mean, I know it was part of the story. He knew from the beginning that this was working towards that end, um, but having an anar as a character to be able to explore yeah. and and just I always loved Andorians anyway and that that whole area of of um we just never really got a lot of Andorians uh on on screen and so I was sad to see him go uh and so I'm glad you got to use him in the novel cuz he's a great character 
He, he is, and uh, a a friend of mine is friends with uh, with Bruce Horak, the actor, uh, and uh, he has already conveyed a copy in that direction. Oh, that's <laughs> so great. Nice. Whether he's gotten it yet or not, I don't know, but uh, but uh, I wanted to make sure of that. Um, and so, yeah, it's I I thought that you know I could do a story that uh, included in it a big moment for him. Uh, and yeah, he kind of gets that in here. That's awesome. Well, this is, you know, like your Picard novel, uh, where you use the Ioceans, uh, you went back and kind of pulled something from Enterprise uh, again, which was phenomenal. And I think most fans might be a little bit shocked as to what you pull here because it's it's one of those episodes, which is not necessarily the most popular Enterprise episode out there. Right. What was the genesis of this story in using that yeah. North Star Enterprise episode as a foundation? Well, the thing is, even though, uh, you know, obviously it's it's a one off episode where, you know, they're trying to save some money on the uh, on the sets uh, by by doing the Western town thing. Even though, even though you have that, um, it is a story that uh, had been referred to quite a bit in uh, what is now the, um, I I guess you would call it the first Splinter universe, or as as I think it should be called, the Pocket Universe. Yes, Uh, (laughs) uh, because it's all pocket books. (laughs) Um, and, and, and it stops really, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a handful of books. I think Coda and a couple of other books are the only ones that are not pocket, uh, their, their, their gallery. Um, yeah, my, 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 we, we, we had already used, uh, Skagarans already. Uh, I had a character, uh, Kaizak who is in the Prey trilogy. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's one of, uh, a couple of uh, Skagaran characters that had joined Starfleet much later uh, in the Next Generation era, and I I thought, well, what I what I wanted to do, obviously right off the bat, uh, I wanted to do um, something that uh, would take place on a single planet, as 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 stated. Uh, I I wanted to do something exploring a little bit about. You know what is it that appeals to Pike about the uh, the rustic life? Uh, because obviously he has a foot in both worlds. Um, I I wanted to also uh, chase down uh, some other things. Um, you know we've got uh, several mentions of there being uh, Luddite uh, colonies uh, in uh, in in Star Trek, and of course in the original series you've got. Uh, you know, implications of that as well. Uh, and that there, there are people that sort of have, uh, you know, a, a yen to go back uh, uh, to, to what things were. And then there's just this whole class of Trek episode, just as you have, um, you know, with, as you mentioned, um, the, uh, you know, a piece of the action is a, an example of the um, kind of episode where it, it's about, you um, cultural contamination uh there's a whole lot of stuff where the way that they get to what is very clearly a a you know cost saving thing of being able to use sets that we're familiar with uh that already exist 
uh, you know, the other way that they get there is with sort of the abduction story, um, the alien abduction. And, uh, you know, obviously alien abductions are, are everywhere, uh, in, uh, in, uh, science fiction and, and in Trek as well. And it occurred to me that for, um, for what happens in, um, uh, North Star, and this always drives me crazy is there's no real name for that planet. Uh, except for the name of the episode, <laughs> the, 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 I, it was nothing in canon uh, anywhere about it. Uh, the, for what happens in North Star to work, they would have had to have taken a whole lot of stuff. They would have had to have taken people, but they also would have had to have taken buildings. They would have had to have taken horses. They would have had to have taken feed. They would have had to have taken basically the whole biome. Uh, and uh, I was already um, in Rogue Elements dealing with this notion of, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I'm interested to see how many people realize the connection between these two novels, uh, because there's a significant one. Um, the the Silvis project in uh, Rogue Elements uh, has the ability to, uh, using late 24th century technology transport wide swaths i mean acres at a time uh and uh or hectares or whatever you call them in the in the book uh and and replace them and uh you know transplant uh transplant things and i said okay well what if you did this with people and um you know if you did this with regard to um the people of north star uh, well, that sets up a situation that potentially explains the episode, uh, because I was not satisfied, uh, and again, it's not my place to you know judge the episode or be satisfied or not, but I couldn't buy that anybody would cross the galaxy for manual labor, um, no matter what the conditions were on the planet, uh, because, uh, again, there's just a lot of energy to expend uh, to be able to do that. And it was never really established what manual labor they would be doing. Uh, and so I, I said, okay, let, let's do something where we sort of cast the episode in a somewhat different light, the same way that I did with, uh, die standing and, uh, the gas creature, the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, from, uh, from obsession, uh, you know, what if it's a totally different thing than we think it is? And, uh, what if there is actually a a, a not uh, not necessarily a a malevolent thing going on here? What if there is uh, this intention by uh, this benevolent group of people to um, you know pluck uh, people from uh, you know planets where uh, you know if they remain, there's going to be environmental destruction or they're going to die. Uh, and and use them to bring them to um, this world that they have found where it allows people to remain in a state of technological grace um, where they, uh, you know, will be there permanently without, you know, uh, moving to the future. Um, you, know, you don't have to worry about that kind of evolution uh, happening. And you know, I, I thought, well, this is great because this, this also ties into 
yeah, questions that we've seen in in uh, in Discovery in the New Eden episode, which mm-hmm. is I think the you know, our second one with Pike, uh, where uh, you know you've got. Uh, that's that's one of the first places where the Luddites are brought up in the in the new series, uh, but the, that this notion that uh, you know there there's you, you know there's uh, this this group of people who have been transplanted, and also um, you know we have we have the uh, the character being left with a battery uh, in violation we would think maybe of of whatever the new Prime Directive is. Uh, and you know, because the prime directive is new at this time as well, uh, you know, this this uh allowed this to be sort of um you know virgin territory, something they hadn't really considered, something they hadn't really dealt with yet. Um, and so you know, then comes the the you know the process of uh knitting it all together because I knew what I wanted to have happen uh with regard to you know, it would be it would be you know, a patchwork of peoples uh, and not all, you know, the, the only humans on the planet, uh, you know, it's, it's not like the, the, you know, the, the cowboys are the only humans on this planet. Uh, there are several other, uh, you know, colonies that have been uh, taken in over the years uh, from earth and several other uh, places that just happen to be uh, at the time pre-industrial. Uh, and one of the things that I did is I went back through, um, you know, memory uh, alpha looking for uh, all the pre-industrial people I could find, uh, nice. the ones that were. <laughs> and so there are mentions of some really, you know, uh, you know, you know, folks that we don't usually hear about. And the reason we don't usually hear about is that Starfleet decided to leave them where they were. Um, and, um, you know, so I so I have that. And. I but I I also wanted to have a dynamic as well, and you know, there's multiple ideas in this book. Obviously, uh, I wanted to have the uh, the dynamic of well, you know, if maybe somebody also gets stuck on this planet by accident, uh, and uh, you know, here we have uh, here we have the Vulcans, uh, and you know, they come in from a particular time, and in early drafts because we went through about three drafts on the outline. Uh, in early drafts, um, you know, we had a a much less amenable uh, Vulcan presence on this planet <laughs> because uh, of when I brought them in from uh, during Enterprise. Uh, it was was around the time of uh, you know the it was actually before the uh, the you know the uh, the founding of the Federation. Uh, and I as I went on uh, the book. Uh, both got uh, more streamlined, uh, less populous in the sense that I I didn't have as many uh, Enterprise crew members stranded on the planet, uh, and uh, you know I also uh, found that the book got increasingly more peaceful uh, in terms of in terms of violence, uh, and I think I ended up and again obviously we're in we're in total spoiler territory here for both books. Um, but you know, I, I had always joked that, um, you know, that rogue elements had my, my lowest you know body count for a novel yet, uh, because it, it was, uh, I, I think there's actually two deaths in it. Um, you know, strange new worlds, the high country is zero and, um, it is, it is not, well, actually, you know, now that I think about, it, uh, uh, take, take down is also zero. 
uh, because of the the you know acts of the aliens and the fact that uh, in, in that book, not to spoil yet another one, uh, but but uh, but you know I, I had done a lot of books in a row that that you know have some fairly sizable uh, casualty lists. Uh, you know, Prey has more or less the Battle of the Five Armies. Uh, you know, the, and and uh, you know everywhere Giorgio goes and dies standing. You know, they're 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 just people left on the ground somewhere. Uh, and of course, Enterprise War. What is it? It's a it's a big war. Um, so, uh, you know, but this book, uh, you know, one can visualize it as. Um, you know, I, I think you know Margaret uh, Clark, my editor, uh, put it really well. Uh, when I started, uh, you know, the thought was, well, people are going to think this is a western, and and <laughs> then I, and then as I then as I then as I went further and I started adding some other bits of genres, and then you know, as we overlaid over the top of it, uh, this very Star Trek conundrum, uh, and then the technological or the scientific uh, peril that is involved here. Uh, that that we we whip on things. Uh, Margaret said, uh, "This is not a western. This is a uh, science fiction novel with horses in it." And you know that's that's pretty good. I mean, to the extent that I I among my advisors, um, you know, I I, I have uh, I have uh, you know Michael Wong uh, who who does uh, one of the other uh, Trek podcasts. He he uh, he was a sounding board about you know the planet, uh, you know the the planet's geology and and uh and and climate um uh, dr don lincoln who is a senior scientist at fermi lab uh is uh he he uh he was a sounding board when it came to how the baffle worked uh the you know the uh, the 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 electric uh the thing that was the thing that was causing the electrical disruptions uh but i also had my friend uh beth canan uh who is a uh Equin uh, uh, or equestrian, uh, uh, she's a bloodstock consultant uh, for breeders. Uh, so uh, I, 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 she had already advised me on uh, the uh, Star Wars Kenobi novel years ago. Uh, we were trying to figure out what were the parts of a saddle on a on a dewback. Uh, <laughs> even though there's no horses, there are saddles uh, in Star Wars. But here uh, we had a really specific question, which is. Okay, we're only going to have a certain number of of specimens um, of horses and dogs and cats and other things on this planet, and and yeah, there are other you know uh, there are other human abductions in different parts of the planet as well, and we establish that although we don't meet everybody, some we only see them from. Uh, the air, uh, or we see the evidence that they have been there, uh, like the British sailors, uh, whose you know colony very obviously dies out because of a very important missing thing, uh, which is that there are no women on the yes. ship. <laughs> um, so, uh, so this is this is uh, this is uh, this is this is a problem. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, there's there's also. Um, you know, we have the Chinese junks and we see pagodas here and there and we see other things. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, uh, the, the the notion is that our human population is one of many, but there are several, um, you know, human you know, settlers against their will. But again, they're they're, they're not you know, the against their will part is 
is uh, is debatable in the sense that uh, you know they are they are treated as as people who were rescued, uh, and you have this culture, um, you know, this this more or less almost this religious, uh, you know, a, a drive that is uh, you know, being propagated by the. Uh, you know the people involved uh, uh, by by Draco's people. Uh, that's there saying, "Yeah, w- w- this is the story. This is the story of what happened to you, and this this story is a good thing. You were saved, and um, it's just we've now had enough years go by that we have dissidents. We have the menders who don't want to live under the rules anymore. We have a crazy number of rules which have developed, um, and." <laughs> And a crazy number of rules that have developed and a, and, a, and a ridiculous bureaucracy which has developed, which is only manageable because, you know, when the the Skagarans got to this planet and found really this world engine running um, that, you know, did what they needed it to do, they discovered that it also had this communication system that allowed them to, you know, join a gestalt with everybody on the planet. Uh, and, and those elements are all you need to make this, you know, utopian situation work for a certain amount of time. It just can't work forever. And as, as Pike and, uh, Spock and, uh, Hammer discover, um, you know, with the help of Uhura, uh, there's really something yet else going on on this planet. And the thing that is causing the conditions on this planet uh, you know, has the potential, uh, if misused, to uh, wreck incalculable harm. That's there's yeah, like as you were just saying, there's just like so much here, like so much to explore <laughs> in this story. I mean, you know, back in the heyday of the Star Trek novels, you know, in the '90s, we were getting however many you know novels per year. A lot of times they do this event novel, and I, I feel like even though we're not getting as many now, like this is the definition of an event novel. It's so long. I I think I saw somewhere online that you, that they had to decrease the font or something to save on paper. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Well, that's, that's, that's also because the, the book was, uh, you know, part of the supply chain problems. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the book is actually slightly longer than rogue elements, but it's, uh, 32 pages shorter. Uh, and, and so what they had to do is they, you know, they have different fonts that they will use. Uh, it's not that they shrink the point size necessarily. Mm. They go to a different one. Uh, and that allows them to, uh, to get more on the page. Um, but you know, I, I had already, you know, I spent quite a lot of time when I was working on this book, um, uh, in the outline process, uh, streamlining and streamlining and streamlining so that, um, I knew I wanted short chapters. I knew I wanted mm-hmm. to have everybody, um, you know, I, 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 it, it's a big help to people on the audiobook side, when you know you have these these chapters where um you know you you're only doing one point of view in the chapter uh and and you don't have to sort of recast and restart everything in the middle of a chapter um you know this allowed me to do something which uh i had not done before which is um there are uh there are no uh locator captions in this book um mm. and we 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 dropped those uh, and we added chapter titles. Uh, and I wanted to add the chapter titles because, you know, they gave it sort of an old timey feel. Uh, you know, it wasn't something that we had had. 
Uh, yeah, every chapter title is um, is a single word uh, with the word the, mm-hmm. um, the captain, the merchants, the whatever. And, um, you know, that, you know, it, it kind of feels to me like they could be the, uh, the title cards on a, on a silent movie almost. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, uh, that, the, yeah. and, and we meet everybody and, and what I, what I, you know, by having a lot of chapters, I was also able to design a tempo for the book such that, um, Hike got just about every other chapter, and then we would alternate uh, between the three. Um, yeah, you know, it, it would be Pike, and then Una, and then Pike, and then Uhura, and then Pike, and then uh, Draco, and then Pike, and then and we would cycle mm-hmm. through. And Pike would always be the central character. And what would happen is these threads would slowly join with him as as we progress through the book. And initially, um, I had more characters, even as I said, and also initially, uh, I, we were following Spock um, from the beginning uh, and uh, or not. Well, we, we do see what happens to him in the beginning, but uh, he, Spock is off camera for a good, uh, you know, third of the book. Yeah. Uh, and and that was a choice. That was a choice because I realized by taking him out of this mix, he's the easiest one to remove from it. Um, in terms of, in terms of, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have this jarring complication of going between, um, you know, what were fairly rustic surroundings uh, to a naval story, to rustic surroundings to a naval story. Uh, and what I wanted to do is is also have a big reveal, have a big a big moment. Uh, and my, yeah, everyone that I've talked to in, in, in when we were producing the, the book, and everyone who I've talked to since has said, okay, if there were anything they were not expecting, it was the Vulcan Navy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no one ever expects the Vulcan Navy, and so uh, that was a that was a big moment that I wanted to have, uh, and uh, and so yeah, we got that, and. Um, you know, we we uh, ended up uh, having, uh, you know, what I think is uh, an epic uh, journey um, by land, sea, air, ice, um, you know, uh, over hills, over mountains. Uh, and, uh, you know, I I resisted the I resisted using the actual wagon train to the stars <laughs> phrase. Yes. But, but I did. <laughs> But I did not. But I did not resist it entirely. No. So uh, I thought of that yes. too because I was thinking. Uh, Casey and I did discussed the new Earth uh, series that they had yep. done for Star Trek books, and I, that phrase came into mind. But you had brought up the idea of um, the idea of this this planet kind of being a Luddite utopia, and I was thinking, like you know, this this book really is the idea of as utopias turn because this planet FGC. Seven seven eight B, uh, is seven eight one B one B. Excuse me, you're right. Um, is that you know, it is this quote unquote utopia, but there's kind of a stench there behind the roses. Yeah. And with your background, I know in Soviet studies, I was really yeah. interested to see how you crafted this because they're a place that has crafted their story to make people believe in their project. And yet there's right. kind of a hidden truth behind this, this history. Well, there, and, there always is. 
Yes, yes. And so we kind of see the idea of like, you know, you've got complete control here. Um, uh, and um, that's an attitude that's kind of pervasive today of, of what people know. Um, and then the idea you don't ask questions um, or you don't ask questions that aren't deemed okay at the right questions by leadership. And so this was a, a really fascinating discussion for Star Trek, I think, and especially this series to be having. Well, the character of Joe um, is in every draft. Um, the, uh, the, you know, um, yeah, the, because uh, we, we have, we have Joe and we have Jenny, uh, his, his daughter. Uh, the, the character of Joe was always there as somebody who would be, uh, representative of somebody who would step wrong, uh, who would step out of line and be reprimanded. But I wanted to show how weak the reprimand was. Uh, I wanted to show that uh, this is not the case that he's clapped in irons. Uh, it is not the case that, uh, you know, he he gets dragged off to some 1984 style torture chamber. Um, <laughs> you know, nobody is trying to reprogram him other than with the propaganda that they use every day. Mm-hmm. And we get the notion that probably he has been uh, gone through this many times and that he's quite annoyed and he's just not going to listen anymore. And everybody's just kind of going, yeah, that's Joe. That's that's Joe. It's it's you know, it's not. Uh, it's it's not it's not it's not something where um, you know when we have these moments where um, they start um, having to raise the stakes of what they're going to do to stop the um, to stop the the wagon train uh, to stop uh, stop the people fleeing on the ships as they have to keep raising the stakes. There is this very definite reluctance, or uh, you know, there's, there's, but, but you know, Draco is 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 very far removed from it. Uh, but you know, it, it's definitely the case that it's like, please don't make us hurt you. Uh, please, we're not good at hurting people. Uh, please don't don't make us go to this kind of trouble. It's only when there's an existential threat. Uh, to you know what's uh, you know what the project is that you know they bring out the uh, the big uh, you know, I, I don't want to say guns necessarily but the the uh, the, the the big uh, the big guys uh, from from one of the species that are the most aggressive on the planet uh, and and you know that they do everything that they do to try to stop them uh, and you know we have a siege in a in a in a keep. Uh, you know, even uh, I, I, I enjoyed doing all of these moments, and um, yeah, I, I, and and again, pivotal to the whole thing, and you know, when when the story really gelled uh, is uh, is with with Lila Tally, uh, with um, you know, when we had um, this notion that. Uh, I had always known that they would have followed somebody to the planet, that they would be searching for somebody when they got here. Uh, and, you know, have it to have it be somebody who uh, is in Pike's past uh, that we've never heard of before, but maybe, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, a long lost love, uh, but, you know, somebody who is a childhood friend. Um, who, you know, they grew apart. Um, and, 
uh, and you know, I realized, okay, and and I can I can give this person uh, a motive to buy wholly into the society, um, even to the point where you know she would compromise her own uh, you know, shipmates, compromise her own uh, you know her own uh, values um, in order to remain in this place because again she's actually really broken and um you know it, it it's not until pike breaks through and finds out what happened um that uh that you know we're able to actually get uh you know some kind of resolution yeah that was really interesting because there's a in the, in the whole utopia side and this idea of it really is becomes this willful blindness and and tavar says this great quote i loved it she said um this life my young friends we all look out from our limited perspectives of our times and our surroundings and you either choose to expand your perspective as you have done or you act as the cigarins i uh, keep everyone blind it's the definition of the game lives lived but to no end and i just it, there was there's there's such a beauty to pointing that out that you would you would become willfully blind. Well, and and don't you like the idea of Vulcans who, on their own, come to Sirac's principles or yes. you know, yeah, uh, on their own um, uh, over the time because uh, yeah, they just have time to realize uh, okay yeah. <laughs> this is this is this is the penance they have done uh being on this planet and being stuck here so um yeah i uh, i i wanted to give them uh you know a resolution as well and an arc uh so so yeah well, yeah it's kind of counter to like solarius who you know he he's grown up in the society and you know he's he kind of has this feeling that something's wrong and whereas lila's kind of um you know tried to stop time and you know, by her own grief and, and everything that she's gone through, you know, Solarius, he just thinks it's easier to keep things the way they are. Maybe he has this inkling that things are, are not right, but he's kind of essentially putting his head in the sand. Um, and it takes yeah. Una really to kind of break him out of that and kind of show him yeah. that his ways are not the right ways. And maybe he doesn't want to continue the same way as his father. That's right, and and she helps turn him into the person that he, you know, could be uh, if he were not trapped in him trapped himself. They're all trapped. They're all trapped. Draco is not happy. They're all trapped um, in in the system because it's impossible to manage after a certain point. It's just impossible because there's there's too many people. There's too many people who have differing ambitions. Um, you know, you just can't stop this rock from rolling down the hill. And, you know, there's so many things that are out of control. And and really the first two drafts, as I said, they were a lot more violent. They the the Skagarans had lost control of the experiment by then, uh, in in those drafts. Uh, and you had you had you know more destructive things happening. Uh, and what happened is we we decided to dial it back. Um, Kirsten said, you know, what if this utopia still works, but only just barely? Uh, and I said, okay, good. Um, and and that there's some people who it doesn't work for at all. 
And uh, that that really set me off. Here's what we'll do. We will we will put this civilization on the precipice. And my presumption is that if Enterprise had not um, arrived when it did, and if uh, Pike and the others had not come up with a way to actually, you know, uh, bring them, uh, you know, into the larger world again safely, uh, that the place would have imploded. Uh, it would have imploded eventually for the same reason that they can't stop the horses. There are thousands and thousands of horses everywhere. There's an entire forest that's overrun by cats. Uh, the the you, you, you've got you've got a naturalist in Solarius who is um just you know he's made he's made his 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 life's work to try to you know, get some control over uh these competing um you know these competing species from these competing biomes uh that were never intended to be together and um if you want to know um what the connection with rogue elements is do you remember seeing the word solarius in rogue elements it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. It's been more more time than I expected. Yeah, I maybe. Oh, dang it! Now I have to go back and search the book. The Silvis <laughs> Project is um, is the project that is uh, renovating the destroyed worlds. Uh, mm -hmm. It is it is terraforming mm -hmm. by transporting acres at a time, and they are bringing in. Uh, new, uh, uh, they're, they're bringing in, uh, you know, new forestry. They're bringing in, uh, you know, they, there's a, there's a, there's a Ferengi that's, that's selling the Silvis project, uh, manure, uh, they're bringing, <laughs> right. in, they're bringing in new things, uh, but they have a nemesis, uh, that is referred to several times and they refer to them as, uh, a um as a terrorist group or as as a as as uh as as their arch enemy uh but uh but they are against the idea of transplanting species against the idea of transforming worlds uh and and two of the members of that project or two of the former pilots for that project are rios's pilots mm. uh and they work for the Solarius front nice that's awesome that's a great connection. That is, and that's over a course of a hundred yeah. years. But mm -hmm. obviously, yeah. where we leave Solarius at the end of this book, uh, yeah, he's not going to feel like uh, that this project was worthwhile. Now, right. uh, he's going to think that it was a bad idea. And Absolutely. so, uh, so yeah, you've got uh, you've got that, and and really, the only unhappy ending in the entire thing is it you know, belongs, you know, somewhat to um, to Draco, but Draco is also. You get the idea that he's 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 also just over it. Yeah. He's 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 just because he, he'd like to just sit in his garden and do his thing, and it's just not possible anymore because um, you know, this this thing is spun out of control. You would need yeah you would need supercomputers to run and manage you know this Epcot Center kind of place, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but planet wide. Uh, it, it just and managing it, uh, and uh, you know it's you know there's there's been the, the, the there's an entire industry that is in the capital city that's that's uh, in Omataya, basically devoted to managing this place, uh, so that uh, yeah all hell doesn't break loose. 
Um, and you know that this is why they're very concerned. Uh, you know, as soon as somebody gets out of line to to, uh, to the extent that uh, Pike gets uh, gets the people riled up, uh, not intending to, by the way, not intending to. He's, yeah. He is trying to mind the prime directive. She, uh, Una, is trying to mind the prime directive, um, and um, or rather, Chin Riley, because we're in the middle of the book when I, we we get told, okay, she's got to be Chin Riley uh, through the whole book, because that's you know that's the way we refer to people in in Starfleet last names uh, if uh, if they're on second reference, uh, and and so although I I did uh, I did use a literary device. Uh, for every one of these chapters, and again, it helps people listening on the uh, in the audiobook. Uh, we state everyone's full names again at the opening of every single chapter. Uh, so it's Neona Uhura, it is Una Chin Riley. So anybody who you know was 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 around just for the couple of years where Una was her name, uh, <laughs> will we'll know who we're talking about. And Una is still her name; it's just not her only name. I loved that um, it, as you were talking about the idea of uh, the uh, way Zalarius is, is kind of uh, wanting to um, stop time, Casey, and the idea of you know him kind of sticking his head in the sand. And, and John, yeah. you brought up, too, the way Lila is doing that. And, and, and I loved the way that you brought this to that we find out the reason for it and the fact that you know she's so distraught she's so hurt she's so broken that she's kind of run to safetyism and that safetyism yeah. for her is this place where nothing ever changes because yeah. she's so afraid of change ever happening to her again because the major change in her life destroyed her and she becomes willing to almost get to the point where she's going to force this on the entire galaxy without their, oh, yeah. their, their say so. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it brought to mind one of the reasons why, you know, this, this, this project of stopping time doesn't work in the same, in the same reason that the Amish don't force their children to live like that. They Very get good. the choice with Rumspringa. Do I go home? after this yeah. or do I stay in the in the in the world but they have to make the choice for themselves and here when you strip away choice from people um you're going to run into a problem and you know it, it's the same reason the the federation works people yeah. have a choice to be a part of it but they also have the choice to not be a part of it and so that you 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 just you cannot stop time in this way um and force people to do things like this that they that they don't want to do. And I really tried to show that this was a universal discontent that was brewing up, that we had members of other uh, species that were on the planet. I mean, you know, Carpenter is a representative of, of, you know, the big, big bruisers that, uh, you know, are, are, are actually, they don't mind being uh, on this planet in general because they were about to be wiped out before they got here. Uh, but, uh, you know, even he's like, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I, 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 I'd like to, I'd like to build something that, that lasts. I'd like to build something interesting. Um, and, you know, then we have the, the, you know, the folks, uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the builders, uh, in the keep at Crycander, um, where, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the giants, the Titans that we have, uh, in, in the end where, 
you know, they're 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 handcrafters and they're expected to remain handcrafters. They're expected to remain uh craftspeople, they're expected to remain uh just you know tying the flies for fishing line the same way over and over again by hand um and and not ever do anything else uh and uh you know people have uh you know some of these people are long lives some of these people get bored <laughs> some of these people want more for themselves uh and so you know one of the fun things about this book and you know i i again i designed it to be an epic um, not necessarily an event, but an epic story that, you know, if you wanted to visualize this as a season of the show or something like that, or a, a season of a show, um, you know, you have this, this thing that has a lot of texture to it where, um, you know, you, you, you could, you could, you could see there, there is a, um, there, there is a secret economy that is going on. Uh, on the outer fringes, uh, where the the marine peoples, the the peoples that are on on the mm-hmm. on the coast, have been trading with the Vulcans mm-hmm. very quietly. They have been trading with one another very quietly. What do the Vulcans have to offer? They save people, um, you know. And and how you know it's just you know the Vulcans. Uh, I, I guess if anybody dies in this book, it doesn't happen during the book. But we do get the notion that the way that the Vulcans have been safe is that if any airship comes anywhere near, uh, you know, they start firing. Yeah, uh, which, is, <laughs> which is which is enough uh, usually to uh, to do it. Um, but uh, but you know, I I and I and I love the moment where you know the uh, you know the uh, where Tavar basically comes to the realization that yeah, uh, this ship that has been my home for the last hundred years. Uh, it will deliver us from this place, but only if I destroy it. And and she's there, and so I'm I'm happy with that. Um, and so it's it's you know it, it, again any one of these um, you know arcs in here uh, could have been expanded. It could have been 150 page or 150 thousand words instead of 133. <laughs> uh, it could have been 175. Uh, but I, I think what we did is we got it to the size that it could be published, yeah. <laughs> and 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 also we have a lot here where it you know I, I, it implies that there are other stories to be told. I I actually did talk briefly to the folks that do the role playing game uh, to see you know if 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 it's even possible to do uh, you know to do uh, you know side stories. Um, that could take place during the book. Uh, and there was no way to you know, do it um, the way that I had envisioned it. But this was around that time where we knew that the, uh, you know, that the book was going to be delayed. And so what I said is, well, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, y- y- let's try to give something else if we can't do that. Um, uh, and uh what I what I came up with, well, actually, I'd already come up with it because I already had the maps, mm-hmm. uh, and I already discussed with the map. I already discussed the maps with everybody involved. It's just I don't think anybody really thought that I was going to get the maps done because uh, <laughs> it was because it's one of those things where it's a wish list kind of thing. And um, once the delay happened, I, I went and talked to James Mishler, my friend, uh, with uh, a colleague of mine. He's a game designer. Uh, uh, he and I, 
uh, co-wrote a, a comic book series, which actually releases uh, March 1st, uh, which is the, the day after recording this, uh, a, a comic series based on a pirate ship game uh, that Ubisoft is doing called Skull and Bones. Uh, and we co-wrote that. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I went to him and I said, look, I've got, look at all these maps I have. And it's basically scraps of paper and napkins <laughs> and, and, and in some places it's not maps. It's, it's notes that, uh, you know, uh, Haven, Havenbrook is, uh, to the West of this other place. It's to the East of this other place, uh, that her house is to the South. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, 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 we were able to you know, figure out, okay, let's, let's winnow this down into, um, you know, just a few maps. And, uh, you know, I said, well, then, then I'll, I'll do, do them in three different styles and then three of them will connect. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's something where, uh, I think, I think uh, that can't be underrated in terms of, um, yeah, how people are going to look at this book years mm-hmm. from now. Um, because, you know, the Lost Tribe of the Sith novel that I did for Star Wars also added the maps as an afterthought. Um, and, um, you know, there's only two maps in that. And that book is on its 19th printing. Um, and it is in part because people love to be able to follow yeah. along what's Absolutely. going on. And there are elements on the map. There are blank spaces. Um, well, actually, that the, the maps the maps have even more information about the society. You'll notice that these maps would have come the the last the last four maps. The, the first map is Jenny McGee's map that she drew for uh, Pike, so he would know how to get to Lila's place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the but the but the last four are ones that Una found in the library in the Capitol. Um, and, and one of the things you'll notice there, um, is when people flip through to look at this book in the beginning, they're going to think, okay, these circles that are there, those are cities. Mm. They're not cities. They're rongers. They're rongers that are mm-hmm. on the planet. The thing that, that, the things that, you know, run the, uh, actually, if you want to see a ronger, uh, yeah, the, on the cover, uh, of the book, we actually have a ronger in operation, because uh, we describe them as as being uh, you know glowing glowing orange and yellow, uh, and you know the planet itself doesn't look orange and yellow. So, um, but uh, but no the 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 idea is uh, when you look at it, there are a lot of rangers that don't have uh, populations associated with them, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are on the surface of the water. Uh, a lot of them are are just uh, you know they're 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 wherever the um, you know, wherever the sorry needed them to, the, the sorry needed them to be, um, uh, to actually make their, uh, their great machine function. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, you could visualize doing more stories on a planet like this, but only in a certain time frame. Yeah. Because things are about to change a lot no, when we get to this book. Well, that was, it was really interesting because I was, I love the maps and, you know, thinking of the runch, like I, I didn't, realize until part of the way like halfway through the book probably that that's what those were and you know when we found out that there were so many it was like 1005 like five to the fifth power plus one or whatever it was yeah and well that's the number yeah and uh and and if you look at them they're all levitating oh yeah it's a circle over a line 
And so um, the clues are there. Yeah. <laughs> so it, but, uh, but I decided, you know, I'm not going to put a key on here. I'm going to let people figure it out on their own. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what we did. And that was really nice. And hopefully people will figure out people, hopefully people will figure out on their own that the way that the maps connect uh, is, is not uh, left, 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 right, left, right, center. Uh, but they're actually going Northwest the entire or Northeast the entire time. Uh, nice. Northeast toward the setting sun uh, because the the planet spins in the opposite direction, yeah. uh, and so they 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 they're they're going north the whole time, um, and that was one of the things that I needed to to work on the planetary side of things with because the planet does um, you know have short days and short years uh, and a significant axial tilt uh, that allowed us to actually cross several climates mm-hmm. in a short period of time. Um, you know, because it's autumn in uh, it, it's it's autumn in the western town when we're leaving, but it's very clearly winter yeah. when we get uh, where we're headed. Well, I you know one of the things like it, you know, as far as world building, the you know the maps helped, and then you know kind of being able to see where like Omataya is, you know, in relation to everything else, and um, you know one of the things we were thinking about for this book was just the technology that the Skagarans basically found uh when when they arrived yeah. on this planet and um just you know they had an idea of what they wanted to do with it but like you know we were thinking of this quote from Jurassic Park where um you know it didn't it didn't require any discipline to attain you know the power that they'd found they read what others had done and took the next steps and didn't earn the knowledge for themselves and and then didn't take any responsibility for it. So, you know, they had their own idea of what they wanted to do with it. But then, you know, especially as we see at the end of the book with Draco and how he can't, you know, replicate this. And, and even the Skagarans themselves can't even replicate the technology they used to bring anybody there yeah. anyway. Um, you know, they just basically don't don't even have any idea of how, how this tech works or what the purpose of it was to begin with um, and end up endangering lives because of it, even if their original intentions may have been somewhat honorable. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's also important that as, you know, that the Sari be unaware of what they were doing to other people Um, that they, they, you know, they're not, they're not the villains in this either. Mm -hmm. And, once once they are aware and once they are unrestrained uh you know by the uh you know by the uh by the actions of the skigarns um you know they put it right immediately as soon as they can as soon as they're allowed to and and sacrifice themselves uh and again that's very star trek yes yeah i loved that you know the just the the way in which this book is so much about um technology and the fact that the way we use it um is usually so haphazard like we kind of uh shoot aim you know instead of yeah. aim and then shoot when it comes to technology and we don't really think about the ramifications uh, uh on ourselves and our world uh and the, because you know you, you end up with this people who are like anti-technology and yet technology is is only a tool 
you know, and how you wield it um, is really a big part of whether or not it can be good and or bad for, um, you know, people in general or or um, your environment or any of those type of things. And I, I, I love that because it, it's not either or. Right. You know, um, it's both and. Like technology yeah. is good and technology can hurt us. But if we figure out a way to use it correctly, yeah. it can actually be a benefit. And 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 being able to that that's such a great Star Trek discussion. Well, that's uh, again, goes back to Tavar talking about uh, seeing beyond the context of one's existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once once the uh, the Sari realize, oh, gosh, we're hurting people. They do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not Draco's instinct though. Once he realizes that he's hurting people, uh, he, he's trying to keep, he's trying to keep the family business going. Um, but again, you know, I think it's really more because of inertia and, and not knowing what's coming. And also, you know, you have to assume that, um, you know, they're, they're high on their own supply to a degree, uh, if you want to use that phrase. They are absolutely um, convinced that the planet that they came from was horrible and was made horrible. And if if we're left to our own literal devices, if we use technology, we're going to turn out that way and we're going to turn this place just as bad. This place is a great place for us. And we need to keep it like this. Um, and you know, that I, I wanted to show um I I I thought it was important to um you know at the end that we actually see Skagara. Mm-hmm. And that's that's another uh, choice that I made because I was like, all right, it would be very easy and very science fiction-y to have the planet be wonderful. They fixed it, they they repaired it. Uh, and and everything the the planet that they came from, um, and no, I I I I want everybody involved to know this is a project as well. It's going to take work, and if you're so good, um, Solarius, at fixing planets, um, without uh, you know, without messing with uh, you know, the laws of nature any more than 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 he does in terms of of uh, you know the uh, the very uh, very ground level of genetic engineering he's doing on this planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it, it's it, it, then here here's here's what you should be doing. You you need to try to mm-hmm. try to see if you could repair this. Imagine if the Skagarans had put the imagine if this group of Skagarans at the beginning had put their technology and their efforts into trying to refine and replace and, 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 and uh, restore, you know, the world that they came from. Uh, but uh, again, so many years have passed and, uh, you know, we get this fun moment where we realize that even the Luddites are using technology. Uh, mm-hmm. They just don't know what it is. Right. Or yes. they don't, don't, they don't know that they're doing it. And, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there, there are, uh, a number of characters here uh, in the book that um, you know they some of them are very terrified of of what life is going to be like uh, you know after what comes uh, or or right. or, uh, or after all of this um, you know there's one particularly timid character um, you know who is 
yes. Initially, initially realizes, um, you know, that, uh, that things are not what they seem to be, but he's still scared. Mm -hmm. Well, and I love your use of characters in, in, in the book too. Like you'd said before how you started with a lot of characters on the planet, but then kind of narrowed it down. And I I think Uhura was one of the best choices uh, to be on this planet. Not only is she a cadet and she's young and she's also a character that we know from the original series, but she's the perfect person to really be the one to have an actual kind of first contact with the Sari yeah. or the empy, the empitherm. Um, and, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just perfect that she's, she's the communication specialist and she's the ones that, the one that realizes these are sentient beings that are being used. And it just brings right. to mind how important communication and time are when trying to figure out how to use a resource rather than, like we said before with the cigar, it's just jumping in and, and using it without knowing anything about it. I, uh, I, I like giving the, uh, you know, the, the, I like giving the scientist uh, or the, the engineer a situation <laughs> where what he knew about engineering was of no use. I like giving the communications person no one to talk to yes. <laughs> uh, for quite some time, uh, and uh, you know, and in the case of uh, in the case of Chin Riley, uh, you know, the person who's in charge of managing everybody is not able to manage anybody uh, because there isn't uh, isn't anybody on the planet there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I thought that her story uh, could only have included. Um, yeah, her, she was always going to be in this role. Uh, and, you know, once we got further into it and I understood what her, uh, backdrop was or her, her background that they had added, uh, you know, her parents dying in a shuttlecraft accident. Well, that's, you know, just, just even more, mm-hmm. uh, adding to it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I wanted somebody, uh, to be completely alone. And, uh, you know, terrified. And that's her. Yeah, I think it worked really, really well. Um, You know, I think one of my favorite things about this story is the way in which every and this is one of the things that I I love about your books. Casey and I were talking about this um, before you hopped on. uh, But the idea that everything about this book means something like you don't have anything in this book that isn't important to the story. And all of these stories, whether it was from Starfleet to the Vulcans to Draco uh, to the Sari to everyone involved, what we're dealing with here is unintended consequences. Um, And that it's how you deal with those unintended consequences once they come up that makes a big difference. And that's one of the things I think you do so well in your books is you're able to tie all of the thematic elements together so that there isn't anything extraneous. And yeah. I love that. Well, even, even things that feel like they're extraneous, um, you know, I could have gone on for probably pages and pages and pages when we're dealing with the, you know, the bureaucracy that has grown up around <laughs> the lookouts and around the, the rules that they've got in the rule books uh, because because they have they have encountered so many unintended consequences that they had to get rulings of uh for um you know because there 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 would there would be you know trade there would be uh, things where people would 
uh, you know, somebody's got to come up with uh, this invention or that one or this one, uh, and and they would have to actually, uh, you know, you, you know, make make a make a make a call on it. Uh, so you know, I've got that I've got that section in there, and it's there for for that reason, uh, where it's it's it shows how you know, Picayune some of these uh, you know rulings have had to be uh to make this whole system run and you know there there's got to be um yeah clearly the clearly the lookouts the the people who were um you know the the deputies uh clearly they have to have some awareness that this has gotten silly uh that, that this is this is this is uh you know the and and of course they're convinced that they're doing it for their own goods uh but uh but you know uh, when a guy who's tinkering with a motor um uh in in the attic of a of a mill uh is breaking the law um well that that that's a strange law but when <laughs> yeah. when a guy you know, tinkering with a, a motor can also bring down a fiery spirit that destroys the entire mill by accident. Uh, you know, so that so there you go. Um, you know, uh, and and again, just fun notes. Uh, you know, f- that we were able to hit some fun moments. Uh, Enterprise, you know, being stuck up uh, in space without any way to help except by observing, uh, and then coming up with. Coming up with various different uh, carrier pigeon ways of getting uh, <laughs> getting getting things down to the surface, uh, and uh, you know, um, I I love the 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 whole way that Pike uh, contacts them in space, mm-hmm. um, and one of the reasons that um, the uh, the first map in the book um, has a little thing that says orbital enhancement superimposed. It's because if you look at the mill. <laughs> The roof of the mill has the coded message on it. So great. Well, John, we probably could talk about this book for another few hours. And and really just because there's <laughs> so much that we haven't even gotten to cover. But I know that you have been so busy with conventions. <laughs> we don't want to keep you forever. Yeah, I, but I do want to give every give you the opportunity to let everybody know, you know, where you're going to be coming up and, okay. you know, what other books you've got coming up as well so they can be checking those out. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, the the, the I, I'm I'm delighted that that, you know, folks are liking this book because I tried to make it as uh, I tried to make every book completely different. And, you know, I, I, it's hard to look at this book and say that it's even in the same genre with rogue elements <laughs> it's, or, or die standing or, uh, or, or enterprise war, because it's, it's just very different things. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I have quite a lot of travel coming up. Uh, uh, I don't know when this is airing, but, uh, first weekend in March, uh, I'm at Emerald city comic-con. Uh, third or fourth, I think fourth weekend in March, it is um, uh, a, a GalaxyCon Richmond. Uh, the uh, the the weekend before that, actually, I'm uh, doing a signing at House of Heroes a comic shop in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Um, and then the final weekend of uh, March and into April, that is uh, C2E2 uh, in Chicago. Uh, and that's the first big wave here of, of my stops. 
Uh, and there's more to come. People can go to farawaypress.com slash events uh, and see all of that. Um, and farawaypress.com is, is my regular you know, hub uh, where uh, you know p- people can find notes on my earlier books. Uh, I'm derelict in getting to the Star Trek stuff because there's, you know, as you can tell, there's a lot of stuff in these <laughs> books to write about. And yes. uh, you know, I'm still stuck back in the in the uh, in the in the essays that I was doing for the Prey trilogy. So I'm 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 a good six years back, seven years back at this point. Uh, but that, but so we have that. Um, and uh, there's also a, a a link on there for signed copies and a link to uh, my. Uh, I, I run an eBay store now for signed copies. It's it's cheaper just to get them through my website. But um, but uh, I have some of my odds and ends that are kind of harder to find things on there. Uh, and uh, one of the things that will eventually uh, be there as well is um, uh, the uh, well, uh, we, we've mentioned uh, Skull and Bones. Uh, the first issue comes out March 1st, uh, and then there's two more issues of that uh, tied into the Ubisoft video game. Those are comics from Dark Horse. Uh, from Marvel, uh, on March 14th, there is what's called the Star Wars Epic Collection Volume 4, or Star Wars Epic Collection, The Old Republic, Volume 5. And what that is, those are the uh, Night Errant graphic novels. I did a, oh, a novel fantastic. called, I, I did a Night Errant novel uh, years ago, but I also did three comic series that were collected by Dark Horse and then have been out of print since 2014. Uh, and so those are all in one. Uh, big book that is coming out uh, uh, March 14th. That also sets up the prospect that everything will end up in uh, the second volume of the omnibuses for the Old Republic. And then people will be able to go to you know these two seven and a half pound books and get just about every <laughs> Star Wars thing I ever did uh, for awesome. Dark Horse. Uh, and that is that is in that is uh, in the middle of March. Um, there are a couple of um uh, there are a couple of nonfiction books uh, coming out uh, from uh, the professors, uh, Amy Sturgis uh, and Emily Strand, uh, one on Star Wars and uh, one on Star Trek. And I was asked to write uh, essays for uh, for for both on um, the tie in novels and canon and continuity and uh, you know, how. The decisions made in one franchise impacted the other as far as licensing is concerned and things going back and forth. Uh, And that is a lot of fun or will be a lot of fun for Star Trek readers because I interviewed uh, David Mack uh, at length about CODA. Uh, I I interviewed Greg Cox. Uh, I I did a lot of uh, deep dive research. Uh, into some stuff and so i'm not sure what the date is for those but those are coming out from vernon press and when there's a uh a release date on those people will find them uh on uh my twitter uh, is jjm far away i also have that uh as my address or my handle on post.news uh and then i'm john jackson miller on facebook and instagram that is awesome john well i can't i can't wait for almost all of those things to come out but thank you just so much for giving us your time and for putting so much uh, into all of the stories you write. We really appreciate it. And I, I think Casey and I both agree. This is, this is like an incredible book that everybody should pick up. If you like, and, and the best compliment I could give you, 
When you read tie-in fiction, you want it to feel like you're watching an episode. And this legitimately felt just like I was watching an episode of Strange New World. So thank you for giving us that. I, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, to everyone, uh, may the force live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't, when we talked to John, you know, talk about our ratings of this book. And I really don't know why, because I, I, I'm not bashful about this. I gave this a five star. I, you know, it was an amazing book, a, you know, the perfect start to the novel verse of strange new worlds. And, um, you know, like we said, it's, it's got everything we could ask for in a star Trek story and, and more. And so I'm, I'm super excited to see, uh, where the novel line goes for strange new worlds. I hope John Jackson Miller stays involved with that. And, you know, cause we don't get very many novels anymore. And, you know, when they put out bangers like this one, we want to, we don't want to keep these authors around. So, I I assume yeah. I sp- you you feel the same way about the book. Uh, I know. I I mean, a hundred percent. Like I just I I I can't even get the words out because I I love what you said there about the idea of like bangers like this because I feel like John Jackson Miller only writes bangers when yeah. it comes to Star Trek books. I've loved all of his Star Trek books. I've thought they've been great, uh, but this one definitely proves. Well, I think like his uh, Rogue Elements novel. He's so good at truly understanding not only the characters of the series that he's writing for, but crafting stories to which weave in so much fun Star Trek lore uh, in ways that are completely unexpected. And so, no, right there with you, this is absolutely five stars for me, just like Rogue Elements was. This is phenomenal. Everybody should pick it up. If you're listening to this for some reason and you haven't, just go do it. You will not be disappointed. Uh, this is a fantastic book. And we got some great stuff coming up for everybody here as we're going to be continuing on in our uh, Voyager series that we've been reading, Dark Matters, as well as our Rebel series with Deep Space Nine. We're going to have a Discovery book that's going to be coming out here, I think, at the end of May. Uh, and so, and then, uh, you know, we're also going to be having this year uh, the autobiography of captain cisco so we do have some new stuff that's going to be coming but we've got some great stuff in store for you here on the show we can't wait to get there but casey people want to catch up with you talk to you anything star trek related or anything else where would they find you probably the best place is on facebook and the babel conference right now but you can also search for me uh elsewhere on social media i'm at knitting trekkie i'm keeping pretty up to date in goodreads and letterboxd and I look at Twitter and Instagram from time to time, too. Well, you can also find me on the social medias under the name MattRushing02, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero. Those are the places that I am most active. You can also, of course, find me here on the network, the 602 Club. We're talking about everything outside of Star Trek that we love. So many great fandoms to be able to discuss to discuss over there. So I hope you'll check that out. Uh also doing the orb about star trek deep space nine warp five about star trek enterprise saddle up about strange new worlds and of course star trek picard's going on so with season three just like killing it we're talking about that on the artificial tango and then over on the nerd party network at two shows one i did with dre coffin we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series on owl post and then aggressive negotiations is where i talk about star wars with the great john mills 
But thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.